Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It says, or you do, not, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another, another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, I want to spend a little more time covering this topic, how we have died to the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Too many of us have never been taught this, to be honest with you. Most of us who have been saved have been raised in churches that taught that you're saved by grace through faith and there's nothing you can do, you receive it as a gift. And then we've been taught how to go work for Jesus. And we've actually been put back under the law. A good Christian does these things and a good bad Christian doesn't do these things. And we've tried to serve God in what's right and what's wrong instead of being led of the Spirit. And so we're going to take some time in the next few weeks as we break this down because Paul deals with it in great detail here in chapter 7 and especially in chapter 8 as well. So we're going to take a look at what it means to walk in the new way and to serve God in the new way of the Spirit versus the old way of the written code. Now, we seek wisdom from teachers and pastors as to what's allowed instead of reading God's Word for ourselves and consulting the Spirit within us. I've been a pastor for years, and uh, I've had so many people come to me, so many appointments over the years where the conversations go like this, Pastor, is this allowed? Pastor, is this allowed? And for years, I used to try to guide people. And then I started to realize over the years as I've grown, my role is to point them to Jesus and to have them follow him. This word definitely gives us guidance. And it will, he'll never, in his spirit, lead us against things that are in his word. But it was never my role to become the Holy Spirit and to have people say, well, pastor said I can do it, or pastor said I can't. You understand what I'm talking about? And as we're going to get into tonight a little bit, we are in a day in which Christians right now, especially because of their ability with the social media and everything, are trying to put everybody else back under a law. Are we not hearing things like, if you're a good Christian, you won't go to Disney. If you're a good Christian, you'll get, not get vaccinated. If you're a good Christian, you won't wear a mask. Or, you see what I'm saying? We, 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 we think that all of a sudden, being a Christian is going back to the rules. Paul said, we don't serve him in that way anymore. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now, i got to be honest with you, as we move into this, I've actually had pastors who would come to me when I would teach this in places around the country and say, I know what you're teaching is right, but you can't tell them that. They'll abuse it. They'll become lazy. They'll use it as, well, God didn't tell me, or they'll start to try to do things that God didn't say. And you know what? That may be true, but also that same God who's working on Jim Johnson, he'll work on you too. And the scripture says we need to believe that God's big enough to take care of us and he'll take care of them as well. So we're going to talk about that. And I'm just going to give you a little warning. There are also too many, like I touched on, teachers and preachers out there who will gladly give you their list to follow. Not just pastors, 
but people. I'm going to say this to you in as much stress and love as I can. Don't be one of those people. You know, for years you've heard me quote from James chapter 3, verse 1, where the Bible says, Not many of you should seek to be teachers, because those of us who teach should be held in higher accountability. And you've sat back and thought, well, Jim, I have no desire to take your job. I don't want to be a teacher. But do you realize that when you're out there on social media telling other Christians how they ought to live their lives and what they ought to be doing or not doing, you're taking the role of a teacher? Be careful. Go to Romans chapter 14. Look at verses 1 through 12. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, we're all going to be in different levels in our walk with the Lord. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't invite him over so you can win him over to your side. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Look closely at what Paul's saying here. He said, in the church, there's going to be Christians that don't always see things the same way. Let's take Disney. There are people with very strong opinions. But they need to understand that we need to trust that the Spirit of God will have them see what He wants them to see and the role and the purpose He has for them. But Jim, come on, God would have to see it the way I see it. Be careful. And you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. And as you're going to see real quickly, go to Romans 14, verses 17 through 23. If you feel like it's a sin to do something and you do it, you're sinning. Go to Romans 14, look at verses 17 through 23. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of right and wrong and rules. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to, to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, though, keep between yourself and God. Tell me, are Christians doing that right now? No, they're not. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He said our goal should be following the Lord and working for mutual upbuilding and peace. 
And how we serve God is not in a matter of eating and drinking and what you do and what you don't do, but as we just saw in Romans 7, verse 6, it's in the new way of the Spirit. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, as we've already seen earlier here in Romans 14, to his own master, the servant stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. I may disagree with you on some things, and I'm sure you disagree with me on certain things, but you know what? The same God who began a good work in Jim Johnson will do a good work in you, and he'll finish it just like he's finishing it in me. And just as he's been as patient as he has been with me over the years, he's going to be patient with you as well, and I need to be. I'm not going to have you do this, but over the years in churches as I've been dealing with this topic, I've been asking people who are willing to raise their hands in a room full of people like this and say, how many of you are willing to acknowledge in front of all these people that God's not done with you yet? And of course, everybody will raise their hand. And nobody's, nobody thinks God's done with them. They all raise their hand. And then I say, well, how can we keep treating everybody else like God should be done with them? The same grace that you want God to give you, or you'd like others to give you, give it to the people around you. And one of the best ways is to realize when you start telling people how they ought to live their lives, instead of pointing them to Jesus, who will guide them and get them where they're supposed to be, you actually start trying to become a teacher and you start to try to make people serve God as Christians in the old way of the written code, not in the new way of the Spirit. Go to Matthew chapter 12. I don't think many of us have ever really taken the time to look closely at what Jesus does here. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 8. It says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have, not, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, as they're going through the grain fields on a Sabbath, some of the, some of the uh, disciples were hungry and they took some grain, they plucked it off, they rubbed it in their hands, went, blew the chaff away and they ate the grain. And here's the funny thing to me. Where are they standing right now when this happens? In the middle of a grain field. And it just so happens that the Pharisees were standing there. Aha! By the way, how many of you have been watching on Facebook to see how other people's kids dress? I can't believe that lady calls herself a Christian and she lets her daughter wear those things. Be careful. Go ahead, Warren. <laughs> they might have been walking. We could ease. And you bring up a really good point, by the way. Let me point out what Warren just did without realizing it. If you want to be justified by the law, all right, you want to go back under the law? The law says you have to do it perfectly. Let's take Disney. But you're going to say, if you're a good Christian, you don't go to Disney. Listen closely. You then are going to say that you can't go to any other business that's going to be promoting the homosexual agenda and all these other kind of things. If you're going to go to the law, you need to do it perfectly. 
Because otherwise people could say, well, you seem hypocritical because here you are jumping on this one, but what about this over here? And by the way, are we not seeing that already all around? You don't want to go back to the law, folks, because it demands perfection. And is it not against federal law to discriminate? Yeah, exactly. We've got to just show grace. What is, you know, could Jesus have spent all of his time pointing out all the inequities of what was going on in the government around him? Sure he could have. But that wasn't why he was here. And that's not why we're here. We're to be salt and light and we are to be involved in the political process and we're to be speaking truth. But at the same time, leave the results to the Lord, whether they follow or not. And so what also the Pharisees who are happen to be right there say they're breaking the Sabbath. They've harvested. They've threshed. That's work. And then Jesus does something very interesting. He said, let me take you back to an Old Testament story that you all know pretty well. Remember when David was running from Saul and his men were hungry and they ended up at the temple and they asked for something to eat and the priests were like, all we have is the shoe bread, the holy bread that was only for the priests to eat. And they gave it to him. And Jesus said he was guiltless. But the law said, I know what the law said, but God's more interested in the heart of the law than the letter of the law. What is the law's purpose? Again, we've said it over and over. To show us our sin. Show us our inability to keep it. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 1, we've looked at. The law is of value if it's used correctly. And the law was not for the just, for the saved. The law was for the lost person to drive them to Jesus. But now that we've been saved and we've been indwelt by the Spirit, we will keep the law, but we will keep the law as led by the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to learn how to stop thinking about right and wrong and whether everybody else around us is doing right and wrong and learn how to walk with Jesus and say, what would you have me do in this situation? Now, I'm not saying we throw away the Bible. Please don't hear that. Because you need to know what the Word of God says so you'll know how to recognize which Spirit's talking to you. But at the same time, Jesus quotes from a passage in Hosea. Go to Hosea chapter 6. Go to Hosea chapter 6 and look at verse 6. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. We'll get there. There it is. Pages were sticking together. Look at Hosea 6, verse 6. For he says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Was this written before the law was given or after the law was given? It was written after the law was given. And here God says, through the prophet Hosea, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. And here we've already seen Jesus quote Hosea 6, 6 in, in Matthew 9. But look at, sorry, in Matthew 12, verse 7. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Jesus quotes this same passage again in another situation. Matthew 9, starting with verses 9 through 13. He says, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, the righteous, but sinners. Here Jesus quotes from Hosea 6.6 6 again. He says, go back and tell me what this means. Go study it and come back and tell me what it means. Because here he was inviting, he, he, Matthew becomes a follower of her, and Matthew was a, of him, and, and he, Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew invites all of his friends to come meet Jesus and hear Jesus, and the Pharisees are going, he's eating with sinners. Let me just say this to you real quick. If you boycott, you're pretty much saying we will have no association with you. Paul said, I wrote to you. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6. He said, I wrote to you not to associate with sinful people, but not at all meaning the people of the world. So he said sexually immoral people, not at all meaning people of the world. He's talking about the church. He said, because otherwise we'd have to leave the world. A lot of Christians want to do that, don't they? Want to just go get to the Christian commune somewhere where we don't have to be influenced. Jesus has put us here in the same reason and same purpose he was sent. As the Father sent me, so I send you. We need to be in the world, but not of it. But our natural reaction is, there's right things and there's wrong things, and good Christians don't do wrong things, and we don't appreciate, we don't want to look like we approve of it. And Jesus never approved of what they did, but he didn't isolate himself from them. And you need to learn individually on what the Spirit of God is telling you. Don't take what I'm teaching and turn it to the other end. Because like we saw in Romans 14, one, some of you are going to say, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Okay, well then you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. And don't look at your brother who feels comfortable or your sister who feels comfortable. And you follow the Lord and you do it in honor of the Lord. Because if you don't feel comfortable and you do it because Jim said it's okay, you're sinning. Because you're following the written code. Jim gave me the do's and the don'ts instead of the way of the Spirit. Now folks, I'm just going to tell you this. This is going to take practice. This is going to take some time to learn how to do this, especially because we're going to have to unlearn so much. The Old Testament folks in many places taught that God didn't expect obedience to the law as making you right with him, but simply walking with him in obedience. Go to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, look at verses 6 through 8. God has just given an indictment of the nation of Israel and told them their guilt. Look at verse 6. Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then God answers, He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But we want to quickly jump in and say, okay, well here it says, you're to do justice and to love kindness. And, to, well, and we want to then tell you to do justice. This is how you do it. And these are the things you do and you don't. You see what I mean? We become like the Pharisees who took the law. The Bible says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then they wrote 300 rules as to how to keep the Sabbath holy. And we quickly want to say to people, you want to love justice and do mercy? Well, then you wear a mask or you don't get vaccinated. No, 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 no. 
What you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And you do what God's leading you to do. You trust that God is able to get them where he wants them to be, and you point them to him. Walk with the Lord. By the way, that's Old Testament. Did you realize God says, you're guilty? And they said, what are we going to do to make it right? Do you want us to uh, come with calves of a year old? Maybe, maybe that's not enough. Um, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Maybe that's not enough. Maybe uh, How about 10,000 rivers of oil? Maybe that's not enough. Maybe he wants me to give my firstborn, and maybe that's the kind of sacrifice he's looking for, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And God says, whoa, 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 slow down. I've never wanted you to get right with me by what you do. I just want you to follow me and to trust me and to walk with me, and I will get you. I don't have time to chase this, but I'm going to be actually preaching on this again. I've had the chance to preach this recently at a church in Melbourne and over in Merritt Island, and I'll be preaching it again in Palm Bay on May 8th. Jesus in Matthew 4 said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Your focus should be following me, not evangelism. Yet, in all of our churches, we've been taught to focus on evangelism. We should be out there telling people. We should be out there reaching people for Christ. But we forget that in Acts chapter 4, Oh, sorry, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the church that got saved there at Pentecost devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hang on for a second. They never focused on evangelism. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Without realizing it, in trying to follow Jesus, we had someone, a preacher or somebody online, give us a set of rules to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you'll do this. To act just, to love justice, to act love mercy. These are the things you're going to do. No. Folks, let me just say this to you. And I love how Paul, when he's preaching in Galatians chapter 5 about those who had come in and tripped them up and who, who cut in on you and caused you to stumble a little bit when they were being taught that they had to be circumcised or they weren't saved. I love how Paul in that whole passage where he's so upset about these false teachers coming in and trying to put Christians back under the law. And he goes even later on in that passage and says, I wish they'd cut the whole thing off, not just part. He makes this statement. He says this. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view and that those who are bothering you, God will take care of them. They'll bear the penalty, whoever they are. He didn't even make it his mission to go find out who the false teachers were and to go root them out. I'll leave that to the Lord too. Folks, let me say something to you. You want to really enjoy this life that God set us free into? We keep hearing about this freedom. Stop trying to serve God by the old way of the written code and learn how to follow him in the new way of the Spirit. What's he saying? And he's going to speak through his word. He's going to speak through prayer. He's going to speak through you tend time with him. What is he leading you to do today? How does, we, there's nothing wrong with having plans. But the Lord will probably make them change a few times throughout the week, don't you think? If you learn how to walk this way. David in Psalm 51, don't turn there. David, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he said, you don't desire sacrifice or I'd give it. I mean, he knew what he had done. He said, I'm guilty. I need you to wash me clean. I was born in sin, conceived in sin. I've had sin problem from the time I was born. But you know what? I need you to make me clean. And if you desired sacrifice to make this right, I'd do it. But what you desire is a repentant heart and a contrite spirit. That you won't despise. Go ahead, Charlie. 
Even, even before David, Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Exactly. To obey is better than sacrifice. Yep. Folks, let me just tell you, without realizing it, because our flesh wants credit, and Satan doesn't want us to learn to live in the new way of the Spirit, we've all been taught to go serve God in the, the old way of the written code, and it's in us all. We're going to break that down in more detail as we go on. Go to Habakkuk. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You remember how Jesus talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they went to pray. One said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else. I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I tithe, and I do all that. The other one says, have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one who went away, went home, justified. As you're going to see when we get to chapter 12, sometime in 2023 probably, but when we get to chapter 12, that's why the Bible says we're to daily lay our flesh on the altar. And Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And then, what does it say next? Does anybody know what the rest of that verse is? Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you, I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual service, your reasonable service, or your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the daily renewing of your mind. What's the rest of it? Exactly. Then you'll be able to know what His will is. In other words, if you learn how to say no to the flesh... And yes, to the Spirit, He will guide you. You will walk in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code, and you will actually, as you're going to see, keep the law. Jesus also came on the scene, as we saw in Matthew 12, and pointed out that the law was pointing to deeper heart issues and our need to turn to God Himself for our righteousness. Go to Matthew 23. Look at verses 23 and 24. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of what? Of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You could actually be so set out to point out sin in other people's lives that you actually miss the fact that you're tearing your brother or your sister down. That's why Paul says in a couple of times, writing about these people who have come in and tried to put you back under the law, watch out that you're not devoured by one another. Go to Mark chapter 12. Look at verses 28 through 34. I'm going to give you a quiz on this passage to so look closely at what's going on here. Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, asking Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, meaning God, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Don't miss this. The scribe got it. How did the scribe get it? What did the scribe know? He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law. He was a scribe. Yet even from the Old Testament, the scribe understood the heart of what the law was saying. Loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself is greater than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. God's not pleased with that stuff. They're pointing to something else. What did Jesus say? Someone, something greater than the temple is here. He goes on later on in another place and talked about the wisdom of Solomon and how everyone came to see the wisdom of Solomon and hear the wisdom of Solomon and someone greater than Solomon is here. Folks, if you've got Jesus living within you who wants to guide you on a daily basis and an hourly basis, why would you go back to the law? That's all I've been taught. Well, it's time to unlearn and relearn. But Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What did he lack? You got it, Sheila. That's it. He understood that loving God and loving your neighbor was greater than sacrifices. Okay, you've had your eyes open to a truth that most people don't see, but you're still missing one thing. Go to John chapter 20. Chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then they said to Jesus, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Oh, by the way, what does God want from you today now that you're a Christian? A life of continual faith in Jesus. Following Jesus. By the way, you know in Matthew 28 where Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples? We've turned that into go into all the world and, and make converts. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. In other words, go point them to me. And don't just point them to me. Teach them how to follow me. But if you don't know how to follow him, you can't teach somebody how to follow him. You can tell them how they can be saved. But can you tell them how to walk in the Spirit? I hope you can. I hope you will. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. I hunger for more of him. And if anybody's mature, they'll feel this way. 
Yet if you disagree with me or don't see it, that's all right. God will show you. Do you see how Paul believed that the one who was working in him would work in the people around him? Have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. And Paul was saying, look, even though someone's cut in on you and someone's caused you to stumble a little bit, you're not going to fall fully because the spirit of God's within you and he's going to get you there. And that's why I can relax and say, as much as I wish you all could walk out of here understanding what I'm talking about, you may not. But it's okay. My job is to show you what the scripture says and point you to Jesus and trust that he'll get you there. And it might be 15 years from now. I hope we're not here 15 years from now, but it might be 15 years from now. You come back and say, I get it now. I get it now. Go to Romans 7 now, verses 7 through 13. He just said, we don't, we don't serve in the old way of the written code. We serve in the new way of the spirit. Romans 7, verses 7 through 13. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. We're going to come back to that. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul has just said, we don't serve in the old way of the written code. We're in the new way of the spirit. And he knows people are going to say, so you're saying the law is bad? Are we to just chuck the law? No, the law is not bad. The law is holy and righteous and good. He says, by no means. It was written by holy God. But we must realize that the law's purpose, what the law's purpose is, and its limits. When I say the law has limits, what do I mean by that? Does anybody have an answer for me? How is the law limited? It can't save you. What can it do? It can point you to the Savior, or your need of a Savior, and point you to the Savior. But it can't push you over the edge and make you righteous. That step you've got to take by yourself, by faith. If we all of a sudden from the law realize, I'm a sinner and I'm guilty before God, God says to you, you're not far from the kingdom. You lack something, though. You've got to put your faith in the one that the law pointed you to and showed you your need of. You put your faith in Jesus. Go to 1 Timothy again. Look at verse 1. I quoted it earlier today. I want you to see it for yourself. 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. We're going to go to verses 8 and 9a. We're not going to finish verse 9. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. Did you catch that? The law was laid down for who? For sinners. I'm sorry? We're all sinners, but, but, it, but once you have been removed, as he said, from the guardian into the new relationship with Jesus, the law now has accomplished its purpose. It showed you your need, and we're going to talk to that in a little bit in Romans 7 some more, 
And it also was pointing all along to the only way you could be made right is through faith in God's provision for your sin, whom it had been pointing to all along. Those sacrifices, the holy shoe bread, what were they all pointing to? Jesus. The, the rules about don't do this and don't do that, they were showing us our need of a Savior because whenever the law said don't do it, Paul said, all of a sudden, now I want to do it. My sin, which was already there, remember we were conceived in sin, it was aroused by the law, and it brought death. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 4. I'll show you another way the law has limits. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It was limited. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law is holy, but it has a problem. It can't make you righteous because of the sin problem in all of us. All it's going to do is fuel your sin. By the way, those of you that were raised in churches that had a whole bunch of rules, we figure the more rules we make, the more people will behave. Rules just fuel sin. It doesn't make us better. Over the years, that's one of the things I deal with with churches when I go around the country and trying to help churches is, is we think if we can get our church manual or our constitution and bylaws set in a certain way, we can protect ourselves from people that might try to get ensconced and have too much authority. So we're going to make rules that after three years you have to rotate off and all this stuff. And we do all these things to protect ourselves, to control the rules, instead of letting the Spirit lead us and guide us. And the Bible says you get a brother or sister that's caught in a sin, you go lovingly work with them. But we just think we make a set of rules to protect ourselves from having to be led of the Spirit and do the things the Spirit would have us do. It's, it's in us naturally. Our instinct is to, what's the rule? Like I've talked to you about before, I've had so many people come and say, All right, I know this is a sin, but what if I get this? Is the, and we're trying to see how close we can get without doing it. We, that's trying to serve God in the old way of the written code. What's right, what's wrong? What's the Spirit saying? Well, I don't know. Exactly. The focus should be Jesus, not how close to sin I can get. But at the same time, if I were to say to you, what's Jesus telling you? And you say, well, I don't know. Well, there's the problem. Just tell me, preacher, it's your job. I used to think it was. But it's not. My job is to point you to Jesus. To teach you to walk with Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 1 through 18. I've told you for years that we preachers rate church members as to high maintenance, low maintenance, medium maintenance. And the ones who are the low maintenance are the ones who have the closest walk with the Lord. The ones who are the weakest in their walk with the Lord are the most maintenance. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Listen. And by that will, the second, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after, saying, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I'll put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where therefore there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now you do remember when God in the law set out, that there was the holy place and then the most holy place and how there was this veil between the two and how only the high priest and only once a year and buddy, he better have blood on him when he goes allowed in there. And those guys that would go in would be like in trepidation, you know, going into the holy place. What happened at the time that Jesus died on the cross? The veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And by the way, there was no power guy that was ever going to rip that thing if you ever study how thick it was. The thing that was so holy and untouchable from the law was removed. We can go boldly into the presence of God. Of course, there were preachers that would come along and say, oh, you're free to do whatever you want now. Well, good luck with that. Exactly. Yeah. We don't let your liberty be a stumbling block. But again, the fact that those sacrifices had to be offered every year over and over and over should have shown you it didn't help. And I touched on this with the Wednesday night group one time. I didn't share it with you, I don't believe. But if circumcision is what made you righteous before God, sorry, ladies. Had you ever thought about that? If circumcision made you right before God, only the men were circumcised. The, men were, the women were left out. There's aspects here to the law that if we were opening our eyes and allowing the Spirit to show us, these are just a shadow of the things to come. Yet, go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, 
from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If the law couldn't make you holy, what makes you think that following laws now as a Christian is going to make you walk with God? It's not going to. I got to be honest, for the longest time, I spent most of my time in my prayer life when I was a young Christian. Into even early years of ministry, I spent most of my time saying, Lord, how am I doing? Lord, I'm sorry if I did that sin again. I won't do it again. Um, I'm just going to focus on not doing that anymore. If you're like me, you do it more. Go to Galatians chapter 3. By the way, you're going to see that the scriptures are full of passages that are all saying this same thing. Because the problem that is today has been in the church all along. There's going to be those that are going to try to drive you back under the old way of the written code. Galatians 3, look at verses 15 and following. He's already said in verse 3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Look at verse 15 of Galatians 3. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after the promise to Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law then? Why did he give us the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming, the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, and you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Keep reading. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, 
when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have, made, have labored over you in vain. Did you catch that? How many of you are raised that you better observe Lent? I'm going to say something to you. Would you not agree that every day is Easter Sunday? Every day is Easter? But you know what? For some people, they consider that day more sacred than another. And that's why we preachers, even though I could easily convince you from Scripture that every day is Easter Sunday, we don't have to have an Easter Sunday service. I ain't going to go down that road. You understand what I'm saying? And even though I, I know that every Sunday's Easter, and we didn't have to have a special Easter Sunday service, we do, because there's brothers and sisters who think that day's more special. And you know what? They do it in honor of the Lord. And even though I consider every day alike, that's okay. You see what I'm saying? It's not about the winning the argument of the written code. It's about what is God saying to you? And sometimes God will say to you, even though you know better, or you know you have more understanding, I may ask you to lay that down for the sake of your brother or your sister. That's part of living the walk in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Let me ask you a question. Was Paul or Barnabas right when they had their disagreement over John Mark? Good answer. If you look at it, you could prove an argument on both sides, scripturally. But God used it. And here are two brothers who did not see the same issue the same way. Unfortunately, they had a parting of company. That wasn't God's best plan. But he used it. And the ministry grew. And over time, Paul said, you know what? Go get John Mark. He's helpful for me. But we want to take sides. Whether or not we're a Barnabas guy or whether a Paul guy. Are we okay with the fact that God's going to get us there? Don't seek to be teachers today, folks. Don't get sucked into right and wrong. And this is what a Christian does or doesn't do. And that's all the conversations I'm hearing, by the way, now. And I say to you in love, my brothers and my sisters, you're going to make life no fun for you. Because you're going to try to go back under the law. You don't want to do that. Because the moment you try to go back under the law and live by the law and tell other people to live by the law, everybody's going to come and look at whether or not you're keeping it perfectly yourself. Do you really want to go down that road? No, you don't. And I know sometimes we believe it so strongly, God has to believe it too. Be careful. Be careful. Go to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 and following. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, having, bearing children for slavery. That's the law. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who, are, who has a husband. 
Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Listen closely. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free. You want to try to start walking in the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code? Don't be surprised if you're not attacked by those who want to put Christians under the law. In your natural reaction, you're going to want to argue back. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding of repentance. So I say to you in love, the same Jesus that said, All I want for in order for you to be saved is just put your faith in me, is the same Jesus that says to us, And now, in order to live the Christian life, I just want you to follow me. Put your faith in me. Spend time with me in prayer. Spend time with me throughout the day praying. Spend time in the word. I will lead you and I'll guide you. And your temptation is to look at the people around you. No, put your eyes back on me. Back on me. I'm going to be preaching next Sunday at Church for the Beach here in Indian Harbor Beach. They've asked me to continue in the series that they're going to be in, Matthew 7. And the passage that I'm going to be teaching from is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus says, Judge not, this you be judged, and then says, Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, and so on. And we're going to take a look at the fact that it looks like it doesn't go together. But when we back up and take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus in chapter 5 and chapter 6 showing them their need, their sinfulness, their spiritual bankruptcy, their need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, the fact that God cares for them and don't be worried about anything. Oh, there's a little section where he says, now that you've understood your sin, you're going to all of a sudden want to point out everybody else's sin. Don't get up on that one. And those of you that have had your eyes open to the truth are now going to want to be judges and tell everybody else that'll distract you. And then what does he tell them in the next verses? He says, come to me. Ask me. Seek me. If you're heavenly, if you, you were earthly fathers and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? The whole context is putting our eyes back on the Lord. He showed them their need to take their eyes off of themselves for their own righteousness and put them on him. He showed them his care for them. He then says, you're going to get distracted wanting to look at everybody else. Put them back on me. And that's the best way I can sum up tonight's lesson. God wants you to learn how to walk with him in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The natural temptation is to get distracted in that by comparing everybody else. What if he wants John to remain alive while Peter dies? What's that to you? You follow Jesus. We'll break this down some more next week. I love you. Thanks for coming.